This is the What Now Podcast. I will often have students confused why they had seven boyfriends in the last year and they think everything's going so great at first, but it doesn't last, it fizzles out. And in every situation, it's because they felt the pressure that they needed to make out with these people, these young men early on in order to keep the relationship. If that is what someone's looking for, from you in a relationship, that's not really a person probably that you want to be with for a long time. (laughs) I think make sure your focus is on what's most valuable to you. And then if you are in a relationship with someone and it's moving physically too fast, stop and talk about this with the person. This is the What Now podcast where we discuss cultural topics related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with sex and marriage therapist Tammy Hill about healthy sexuality and what to look for in a lasting relationship in addition to physical attraction. Tammy shares age-appropriate tips for parents on how to speak to children and young adults about sex as well as what young adults need to look for in a healthy relationship and how to recover from a premarital relationship that gets too physical too fast. Today, we are here with Tammy Hill. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we're happy to have you, and we're happy to have you tell us a little bit about sex and relationships, or it's a little more of an edgy topic today. <laughs> well, but we're that's gonna... what I do every day. <laughs> right. So just tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get a little background on you. Okay. My name is Tammy Hill, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, sex therapist. I have a private practice where I work with couples generally, most frequently working around challenges with sexuality that they might be having. I also do other types of marital counseling, and I help individuals as well. I've been so blessed to be able to teach the last eight to nine years at Brigham Young University in Provo. I teach marriage preparation, marriage enhancement, and I help develop and teach the first sexuality course taught on campus called Healthy Sexuality in Marriage. I'm a wife and a mother, a grandmother, and I'm really excited to be here today. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'd like to start off where a lot of parents and kids, they're not comfortable talking about sex between their parents and their children. So how can we strengthen our relationship with our kids in a way that allows both parties to engage in a more personal dialogue about sex and relationships? That's a really important question, and it's a loaded one. It's got lots of different answers. I think for those people starting out with small children, I would encourage you to start talking about things now with your little ones. It's much easier to get comfortable talking about sexuality with young children than it is when they get a little older and start having sexual feelings. Then it gets a little more difficult. So actually, there is some research that suggests that we should be teaching children the basics about reproductive sex about five years prior to them feeling sexual or having their first sexual feelings. And so I really encourage my students to become comfortable by teaching about sexuality to their children who are by the age of eight, to be able to talk to them about how life is created and how a husband and a wife together create 
a new life and how that happens. So for those young parents who are starting out with young children, as you're holding those little ones in your arms, I encourage you to just talk with them, call their body parts all the right names, use correct terminology, get comfortable talking. Your little ones will feel nurtured, they will feel loved, but they won't really understand what it is you're saying. But what's happening in that is that you're hearing yourself talk about these things and you're going to be able to adjust and say to yourself, wow, I didn't really like the way that sounded. So try it another way and get comfortable with the idea of being able to talk about sexual functioning. As your children get past the age of eight and move, especially through the school years and into junior high, those are really important times to have conversations with them. But I found that What's even more important is that you have a good friendship with them so that you're doing things. And this is for older children as well, but the friendship in your relationship is strong, that you're building relationships, doing things together where there's safety, where there's a connection that this child feels they can trust you. So I would focus on the friendship first. And then in natural ways, there can be conversations that come up that talk about sexuality, talk about maybe you're going through some changes from a child to an adult. And in this maturation phase, these are some things that you can watch for. I had a client not long ago tell me about a real natural way. She had a conversation with her daughter, who's 11. And she has not started menstruating yet. She knows that she will menstruate. They've had some conversations about that. But as the mom could smell that this daughter needed to start having showers every day as how they a little smelly with those hormones and start some deodorant and just explain to her a little bit about how our bodies adjust. And it was such a natural process for her. They did it while they were putting clean sheets on her daughter's bed. And so I think there's a message there that As we talk with our children, as we're friends with our children, we can create very natural settings that we can just ask a little question or make a little comment here and there that could be an opportunity for really important conversations to have. There's also some wonderful books on my website, TammyHill.com. I have lists of books that parents can use to help children of all ages learn about sexuality. My first children's book called God Made Girls and Boys actually will be here in one month. And it's a book for children under the age of eight, helping you teach them about gender, about reproduction and that type of thing. And then my second children's book is for that middle age group we were just talking about, giving a little bit more detail there. As children start dating, you definitely need to have conversations about appropriate touch. And again, the more rich your friendship is with your child, the more effective these conversations will be. So I would guess in a nutshell, my encouragement would be to parents is to create good connection and friendship with your child, and then also to get educated in a way that can be really constructive for you to be able to talk about these things with your child, with knowledge, with truth. It's imperative, I believe, for our parents today to get comfortable, our young parents today to get comfortable teaching about sexuality because there's not any other place that children are going to find those answers that have your same morals. 
It isn't the school's responsibility to teach your morals. It's not the church's responsibility to teach your morals. It is your responsibility as a mom and a dad to work together to teach your children why sexuality, what it's all about, and why it's such an important part of being mortal. That was a big, long answer. I hope that was helpful. (laughs) Many parents don't know how to transition from being a parent to being a friend and confidant for their young adult children. So what advice do you have to share on that? Because that can be tough because they're used to being the authoritarian or the one in charge. And so maybe kids aren't always super friendly and on a friend basis with their parents. They're definitely more of an authority figure. So they're not as comfortable coming to them about things like that. And so they get into trouble going online and trying to find stuff. And then you see all sorts of crazy stuff or all sorts of crazy stuff they're teaching in the schools. Well, or just talking with friends, there's all kinds of things that information to. Yeah. Well, you're talking young adult children here. I think you can be friends. You can be friends with your child at any age. I think as they get older into their young adult ages, it's more necessary for you to meet them in maybe participating in activities that they also enjoy. Maybe your child likes to video game a little bit. So learn how to video game and start video gaming a little bit together. Have that little connection. Maybe your child is really interested in learning to play pickleball. Learn how to play pickleball. Maybe there's uh, guitar classes, whatever it is. What your child is interested in pursuing, I think is paramount that you become interested in understanding what it is they enjoy doing and then create opportunities to enjoy activities together. I know that being a parent to teenage and young adult children, often the best conversations happen when what you want to be doing most of all is being asleep and in bed (laughs) because they want to talk at 1 a.m. So I really encourage parents to stay up, not checking on them or whatever, but listen, when they come home, be there ask how things are, what they're learning, what they did, maybe create opportunities for both of you to go out and do some things together and stay out late together. Some of my most important conversations with my young adult children have happened in the early hours of the morning. And it's because I'm, I've made myself be there and be part of whatever it is they're doing when they come home. That is so true. Some of my best conversations are just waiting up at night for them to get home and just asking them, you know, how was the activity or the party or whatever it is you went to? And then they just start opening up and it's quiet time. Everyone else is asleep. You're alone together. It's really a perfect time to actually dig in and talk to your kids when it's fresh in their mind and their feelings. I think that's so right. And I think you can pray for ways that you can connect with your child. Do do that. I love the scripture in Moses when it says that Adam and Eve instructed their children in all things. I love that. And I think that sets a standard for us as mothers and fathers. It is our responsibility to help our children understand this important part of mortality. Especially in this day and age, virginity has been marginalized. I feel like You see so many sexual innuendos on TV shows and implied meanings with first interactions on a date. It's just crazy. Like, do you sleep together? I mean, that sort of stuff. And it's all over 
I mean, everywhere, internet, on social media, on TV shows and movies. And now it seems like, how is virginity and virtue different? It's important to differentiate that with our kids. Oh, so, so important. And well, they're very different. Virginity is basically you're saying you haven't been sexually active or you haven't had intercourse. Virtue is that your worth never changes despite your behaviors. Your worth is constant. And that is the message our children need to understand from us and know that their value doesn't fluctuate by what it is they do. That your guide, the things that we're talking about and the guidelines that you can create for them are to protect and to help them and to help create patterns that bring true happiness and also allow them the opportunity to feel the spirit more abundantly in their lives. But their value is is the same always. They're worth everything to you and they're worth everything to our heavenly parents. They're worth everything to Jesus Christ. He gave everything for each one of us and that never will be taken away. When kids get sexually active young, they can lose their virginity, but their virtue can be restored. There's a distinction there. Right, for sure. And that through that process of coming to understand and seeking for cleansing and a repentance process, you can be completely whole again. That's an important thing for people to remember because some of these kids get in over their head, not meaning to, and then they get really distraught with the situation and it starts to affect their self-esteem and their self-worth and who they think they are in the eyes of God. But virtue can be restored through that process you were talking about with repentance and trying to make it right. So many kids get their confidence from their physical appeal to other men and women and can get physically involved too quickly. So that leads to shame and guilt. So what would you say to young adults who are dating and entering a new relationship? And it's so tempting, I think, for some of these kids to just offer up a lot of physical connection as a way to connect when that's not what real connection is. A large part of the population who I teach is young adult children who are in dating relationships but have not transitioned to marriage yet. So there is research that shows that relationships that are starting quickly with the physical aspect of the relationship are not sustainable. You have to have the knowledge, the trust, the commitment, and ability to rely on one another in order for a relationship to sustain itself. And so when people get involved physically really early in a dating relationship, they can just plan that most likely that relationship's not going to last long. Because what has to be at the foundation of it are these other principles in building the relationship around. And so I will often have students confused why they have had seven boyfriends in the last year and they think everything's going so great at first, but it doesn't last. It fizzles out. And in every situation, it's because they felt the pressure that they needed to make out with these people these young men early on in order to keep the relationship. If that is what someone's looking for from you in a relationship, that's not really a person probably that you want to be with for a long time. (laughs) I think make sure your focus is on what's most valuable to you. And then if you are in a relationship with someone and it's moving physically too fast, stop and talk about this with the person. I have students tell me, but 
Tammy, that is so scary. I don't think I could possibly tell him or her. And my answer to that is, well, then you probably shouldn't be doing that. If you can't talk about what you're doing, you certainly shouldn't be doing what it is you're doing. So yeah, I think the norm, unfortunately, today in with the messages that we get from media, the Bachelor series, it's all about looks, it's all about the body and nothing about the soul. And if we want you to have date- a great so- quote on Instagram about that. Can I read that real yeah, quick? Yeah, please do. I love this quote you have. It says, I encourage you to look for soul food, not just eye candy. Mm-hmm. And then you go on to say that beauty, sexiness will never be constant. So how can young adults see past just the physical appearance to the character of a person? The only way that we can do that is to get to know them. And we get to know them by doing things together other than making out. We get to know them by doing real life experiences of managing a budget, talking about money, of doing things that are fun, but also things that are essential, such as grocery shopping, meal preparation, laundry, serving. We get to know people a lot by serving other people. Observe how much do they want to help minister to the people they've been assigned to? How are they some of the people that stick around after church to help pick up chairs? I tell the boys in my classes all the time that That's probably one of the sexiest things I see is young men sticking around to clean up the chairs after church. I think that is so commendable. You do things together that are real life kind of things. And yeah, sex is part of real life. Making love in marriage is part and sex is part of that. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that you need to find out before you share that part of yourself. And so create opportunities to have real life experiences together in dating relationships. That is so true because when you get married, you're doing all those mundane things all the time. (laughs) All the time, all the time. If you want to have children, I would encourage you to babysit together. Watch and see these people that you're dating. How are they with kids? Just do regular everyday things together and you're gonna learn a lot about each other. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Babysitting, seeing how they interact with kids. If the kid has a full tantrum, what do they do? They get mad? Do they joke around? Do they try to ease that child and make them feel loved? I mean, that can be really telling. Yeah. I actually told my daughter to, (laughs) if you're going to date the next guy, you know, she did a guy who had some anger management issues. And then the next guy said, well, take him to play a sport and see how he reacts when he's losing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. I can remember one of my sons was dating a young woman for a long time, and they weren't really going anywhere. And some observations I saw is that there might not be as much emotional intelligence that have happened in this relationship as I hope to see. And so I actually encouraged him to take a spare key to his truck and accidentally lock the keys in the truck, just to observe how in an emergency crisis situation, this person would react. And that was a very telling moment in their relationship. She reacted horribly and was name calling angry. And it was, he was able in that moment to see something that he hadn't been able to see up until that point. Yeah. You can almost kind of stage a few situations and just see how they react. Yeah. Some people might think that's manipulative, and 
I don't think it's manipulative. I just think it's an important thing that we see each other in real life. Because dating, the way that we often think of dating, is not a continuation of real life. Dating, you're having fun, you're spending money, you look nice, you smell nice. Marriage is an extension of real life. It's up and down. You don't smell good. You don't look good sometimes. You're poor. You're not spending money. And so realizing that we want to have relationships that are based on real life activities, I think is so important for young adult children to do. Yeah. I mean, what should young adults discuss before they get married? What are some key things people should be talking about? You're teaching BYU age kids who are all primed to get married probably during college. What are some things they should discuss before they get married? That's a great question. On my Instagram account, I have a whole bunch of things about this. I'll try to remember all of them, but I think it's really important that you understand where your foundation pieces are for your relationship. Where do you feel you match when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to truly being able to function financially independent from your parents? How well are you going to be willing to cleave? Cleaving is a huge principle. It's one that I don't believe we've been taught well at all within the church culture. And yet it's something that is so important. Couples need to leave their family of origins and cleave together financially, cleave together in every way so that they can create this new life together independent of their extended families. That doesn't mean you don't relate with them. I'm not saying that, but you are establishing a life together and your parents shouldn't be paying for that. And you should be able to be making the rules around how often are you going to spend time with each family? What traditions are you going to bring into your home? So having conversations like that, I think is important. Talking about your goals and ideas for careers, for families, for children. How important is sexual attraction before marriage? Even if they line up in all the important areas of their lives, like they they work great together, there's no temper issue, they've got spiritual connections, they've got it all going, but there doesn't seem to see, be a lot of sexual attraction. Is that something that could be okay still because they've got all this other stuff? Or how important is sexual attraction? I think it's important. In marriage, this is the only relationship that you need to be attracted to someone in your whole life. You don't need to be attracted to your mom to your cousin, to your bishop. You need to be attracted to this person that you marry, however. And so attraction by and large is a choice. So you can choose to see things that you find attractive. I'll give you an example. When I first started dating my husband, Jeff, he's 11 years older than I am, and he's very handsome. I can remember on our first date thinking, oh, he's a little bit old for me. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. We can be really good friends is what I thought. And then I thought, wait a minute. I always tell other people, look for things you find attractive. And so I started looking at him. And the first thing I really looked at was he has these smile lines around his eyes that go up and he is always smiling. And I found that so appealing. I know he's had so many hard things he's done in life. And yet knowing that throughout life he smiled his way through it. I don't know, but it made my heart flutter a little bit thinking how attractive that quality was. So I think if you have a lot of things that are lining up, I would challenge you to look for things in this individual that you find attractive and see what happens. I like that. 
Because sometimes there have been people I have dated that at first I didn't even think they were that cute, but then I got to know them and they had so many amazing personality traits and a great sense of humor and they were so fun that they became so attractive because of that. Yes. And I think that so much of the messages that are prevalent in our society today is that looks are everything. And if you're not perfect, then maybe you're not the person I want to be with. I think that's really sad. I certainly wouldn't base my decision on who to marry upon how they look because that's not going to be something that's lasting. At least that's not going to be something lasting naturally. It might be something they spend a bunch of money on to try to stay lasting. But you want to be able to look and find things you find appealing and attractive in them. And yeah, their personalities come to life and you'll find yourself drawn and increasingly attracted to who they are. And, you know, people do gain a few pounds and they age and you never know what's going to happen to someone's life or they get a thyroid disorder and gain 100 pounds. I mean, if your whole relationship is based on their physical appearance and your sexual attraction, that's the only thing really that draws you two together, that's going to be pretty catastrophic. Right. And it will certainly be a shallow relationship if that's where it's being built from. All of the research by Gottman, by John Van Epp, Blaine Fowers, those are all marriage and family therapists who've done extended research on marriage and what makes it sustainable. And if there's not that deep, endearing friendship and trust in the relationship, it doesn't matter how attracted you are to each other, it's not going to last. I like that you touched on trust because that is critical to the success of any relationship. So what advice would you give to these young adults that are really scared of getting into relationships? We have a lot of kids now that are getting older and not really wanting to get married. I mean, they are really scared. I don't, they've had parents who have been divorced or they've had relationships that have scarred them and they can't seem to get past it. And they're scared of getting into a serious relationship. How would you speak to that? That's something that I see all the time. So I like to think of fear as when I study the gospel, the very first emotion that we find in after the creation is fear. And as we study more about that, we realize that it is Satan that introduces fear into the world. And so I like to have people ponder their fear a little and to acknowledge that fear typically comes from the adversary. So choosing to live and hold yourself back because you're afraid of doing something is not anything about living with progression or faith, or that's not our purpose here at all. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to understand better and become more like our heavenly parents. And we can't do that if we hold ourselves back in fear. So what I tell them, I go first to the fear aspect of it. And then the second thing is that is instead of focusing so much on finding someone that you're going to not be afraid of having a relationship with, I would encourage you to focus your energy on becoming someone you really like, developing yourself into a person that you respect and can have confidence in. And as you self-develop, you will become increasingly attractive to like-minded people. You attract who you are, not what you want. And so as you develop yourself, not only will you gain confidence, which is faith in you, 
but you'll also attract people with similar faith and confidence in themselves as well. I love that point of you attract people who are like you. So if you're striving to be a successful, well-rounded spiritual person, you're going to attract what you are. And some people, they just say, well, yeah, I'm just not on the right path, but I just need someone to help me get on the right path. I just need a, someone to help me get on the straight and narrow. And like, they're just going to fix them. And you can't rely on that. No, you can only control you. I can only control me. And so if we really want to be in a relationship with someone who we think would like to create a life with, we, in all honesty, need to ask ourselves, so am I a person that would attract someone like that? And to do what you can to become increasingly attractive to someone that you want to be with, I think is, I don't know, a little bit of an ironic part of dating. We're often looking for someone to fill our needs, but if we were to look inward at how we could improve, we're actually going to find what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. That's true. Because I mean, this whole earth life is about progression, right? We're all striving to progress and be a better version of ourselves. And it helps when we're trying to progress to surround ourselves with people who are also trying to progress. So I just want to close out with a final question for you. So what are the essential elements of a successful relationship and marriage? What are those things the studies have said and proven that for people who really do have sustaining good relationships long-term, what are those essential elements that are part of that? Friendship is probably the leading quality that you see in John Gottman's work. And he is the renowned researcher on marriage in the world. Friendship, looking that you can understand each other. Your friends get you. And so when you're in marriage and you get each other or you understand each other and that friendship is there, there's so many good virtues that come from that. You, you're more generous with your friends. You're very loyal to your friends. You have a sense of fairness with your friends. All of those are aspects of virtues for a good, healthy relationship. And I think you can sum it up in one word as friends. And it's funny because so often I'll have students say, I don't want to marry my friend, or I've been put in the friend zone or something like that. And I'll always say, well, that's the best place to be (laughs) because you really want to marry someone who truly is a close friend that understands you, that will be generous with your faults who will be fiercely loyal to your relationship, who will fairly work with you equitably in becoming partners and parents together. You do that with friends best. And so I would encourage people that they have a dear, deep friendship with this person, that they're having it fun together. They believe similarly. They can trust one another. I think that all is summed up in really dear friendship. Those are all good points. In fact, I love on your Instagram, you had a post about honeymoons, the beginning of sleepovers with your best friend. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I thought that was so cute. Thank you. I do believe, I think it's okay to date your friends. I encourage people to do that all the time and see what happens. Yeah, that's true because I dated, well, I dated my husband later, but we were good friends for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had classes together and We dated siblings and we overlapped a lot, but Uh we didn't even think of dating each other. We're just good friends. And then one day it just clicked. We're like, why aren't we dating? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. When that happens, I think there's just a sweetness that can happen in that relationship. You have such a deep, dear foundation already established. And then all of a sudden, little 
sparks of interest and attraction start to play into it. And I think that's so fun when that happens. It is. And it really is when you have that deep friendship and then you get married. I've already done all these fun things with this friend and running errands and just going to grab lunch and just the mundane stuff. And it was still fun. And then when you date and you add that extra layer of attraction, you realize, oh my gosh, I actually really am attracted to this person too. It's a winning combo. Yes. So I would, if any of those young people are listening in to this, I would encourage you, if you can think of someone, this is an experiment that I have as an assignment that's optional in my marriage preparation class. If you can think of someone of the opposite gender who you've just been good friends with for a while and you feel so safe with and you're able to talk to and you play together well, I would invite that person to do an experiment with you. You can totally blame it on me if you want, but invite them to be in a two-week, 14-day challenge together where you're going to exclusively date just each other. And that doesn't mean that you're going to incorporate a lot of physicality in the relationship. That's not what I'm suggesting. But having the idea that this dear friend now for two weeks, we're going to experiment and try to put all of our romantic energy, our affection, all of that towards one another. And each day, try to do things that a serious dating relationship would do. And then at the end of the 14 days, talk about it. How did it go? Do you want to continue dating? I started this for, I call it the 14 day challenge. And I started it, uh, I think five years ago, next fall in my courses at BYU. And I'm aware of about 84 people, couples who've married because they did that experiment with a friend. So I didn't challenge you to do that. Yeah. I love that. That is such a great idea. And it gives them a good excuse. This is an assignment for school. (laughs) Yeah. This is an assignment for this therapist or this teacher. And I just want to see how it goes. And um, you'll be surprised how many things you'll start noticing about each other that you didn't allow yourself to think or observe before. I love that. That is such a great idea. When I interviewed John, by the way, about relationships, he had some essential strategies too. And one of the things that he had said was so important is to spend two weeks with someone without anything physical and see if you enjoy being with them. And if you don't, if you've been dating someone, it's getting crazy and physical, then you just back off the physical, hang out with them for two weeks without even touching, just being friends. And if it can't last, you walk away from that relationship. What a great suggestion. I like that. I know when you said the two week thing, it triggered what John, by the way, had said about the two weeks, just step away for two weeks and just see how it goes. And that's telling. It is telling, and it will tell you clearly if this is a sustainable relationship or not. That's right. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Is there anything else you'd like to close out with? Oh, I just think this is such a wonderful stage of life, being able to make friends. And I know within the church, we learned at this last general conference that more than 50% of the adults in the church are single. And so if you're single and in the church and an adult, you're certainly not alone. And so don't feel alone. And those of you who are married, make sure that you're including those who are single in your circle of friendships. I think that's something that maybe we overlook sometimes when we get in our own relationships. 
but I know a lot of single people who feel like they're all alone in that as well. And I just want you to know you're not. And you can do these strategies that we've talked about and see what happens. You can find some really great friendships and perhaps even a love relationship as you do so. Wonderful. Great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. Please help us create positive change by sharing this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. I invite you to follow us on Instagram at Podcast What Now for daily inspirational messages. We also invite you to leave a positive rating and review. For the review to process, you just need to download the episode and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Scroll down the episodes until you see ratings and reviews and share your positive feedback. Positive ratings and written reviews really help us to grow. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production.